Are you not different every time you come out of here because of the way God has spoken through him? If you have, let's just give it up and say thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And so one of our jobs underneath the ministry that God has given the Fisher family here at St. State Church is to pray for them. So we're going to pray for them. Because anybody, whether you're in vocational ministry or not, anytime you've given your life over fully to the Lord Jesus, he promised that persecutions would come, right? And so we don't want to be unaware of that and ignorant, but we have a victory that has overcome the world, and that is Jesus. So we're going to pray for, pray for blessing on this family. So join me real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus, from whom all gifts flow from heaven above. We thank you for as Ephesians tells us, that you gave the gifts of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors, Lord. And we thank you for the Fisher family, God. We thank you for sending them to to share your message and your love. And so, Lord, we pray that you would protect them, God. We pray that you would uh, protect their home, Lord, everything that you have given them possession over, God, that no sickness, no disease, no attack of the enemy would be able to come uh, on them, that no weapon formed against them would prosper. God, we pray for, for their children, Lord. We pray that their minds would just be uh, full of your word, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you will continue to bless them, Lord, because your word says that those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So we ask you now, in the name of Jesus, refresh them. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, guys. And so, as Pastor Ron was saying, uh, I don't know everybody in here, so I'll just I'll give you guys a little background. My name's Cole. I'm associate pastor here at the church. Uh, moved up here about five years ago from North Carolina. That's why you hear the twang. And uh, yes, uh, it has not departed after five years. And so I'm just assuming it's never going to depart. So <laughs> this will be recorded. If I get a little, uh, if you can't understand what I'm saying because I talk too fast, you can go back and, uh, and re-listen to that. But I moved up here five years ago to help start the church, and I've been working in real estate, and I still work in real estate. And part of my story, and one of the reasons I wanted to move up here, was from age 18 to 25, I was living a life that with my mouth I honored God, but with my actions and with my heart I did not. I grew up going to church, but just because you sit in a garage, it doesn't mean that you're a car, Right? No, it means you're sitting in a garage. There may be a car beside you in that garage because maybe it's a two-car garage. And so you're sitting beside the car. You think you're a car. You're going boom, 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 making all the noises uh, with your mouth and maybe even releasing gases. I don't know, <laughs> um, <laughs> like the other car. Uh, but you are not a car just because you're in the garage making the sounds of it. So God, in his mercy, allowed me to what others would say, waste my life between the ages of 18 to 25 years old. But you know what? God doesn't waste anything, does he? That's right. The word says that he's a father who disciplines us for our good. So he allowed me to go my own way until the age of 25. At the age of 25, I filed bankruptcy. And after I filed bankruptcy, God's like, you think you're finished, don't you? I was like, oh, I think I'm finished financially. Yeah. He's like, okay, well, you're finished relationally. You're finished spiritually. This is your time to start over to start a new life. There is a new beginning if you'll receive it. So because my parents, congrats to all you parents here now, that you have your children in church. They may still be rebellious. They may still be doing their own thing. Maybe they're little children, and so it hasn't quite manifested yet. But 
my parents took me to church every time the doors were open. I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. I was doing the Christmas plays when I was in youth group. I was on the uh, worship team in the youth group. But you know what? Um, it took until I was 25 filing bankruptcy for all the messages, all the sermons, all the love that the people in the household of God showed me, telling me about Jesus, the cross, the forgiveness of sins, and how I needed it. I didn't understand it and even have a heart to understand it until I was 25 and filed bankruptcy. And I was born again at the age of 25. So did God waste that time? No, he did not. Okay, why do I tell you that? It's not just so you can know coal. It's so you can know that all throughout history, not just in your personal life, but in the history of humanity, God has been working and he's been bringing about his promises for an ultimate end and a goal. And so the series we've been going through is fulfilled. And Pastor Rollin has been going through these uh, each week. And so we're going to do a little uh, recap. I love it when I go to classes and they do a recap for us because I'm like, I was there, but I don't quite remember what was talked about last week. So please lay it down for me. So fulfilled part one. We learn that Jesus is the fulfillment not only of messianic prophecy, but each of the prophecies point to how Christ is a fulfillment of the deepest-seated God-given desires and needs in our lives. So, God didn't only come to fulfill his plan because he had a purpose, but guess what? People, you, individuals, were in his plan. So we could basically say, after what we learned from the first message, uh, one is that because he is, I am. And that's the foundation. Because he is, I am. And then number two, because he did, I can. So say it with me. Because he is, I am. That's right. Because he is the firstborn son of God, I am now a son of God. But it all starts with Jesus. So he fulfilled that, okay? Fulfilled part two, we learned that in a divided land, we need three things that the Messiah came to fulfill. Because right now, we're on earth, right? And the little pockets of earth that kind of look like heaven. But we would all be foolish to say heaven is here in its fullness, right? I mean, there are even places where God is doing miraculous things. He's healing people. He's, uh, uh, you know, he's still multiplying bread. I've got testimonies of friends who are on mission trips, and they only had a couple of bars of food, but people were dying of starvation. And all of a sudden, it's like they had all these bars of food. Like, I don't know where these came from, and they just are giving them out. So God is still doing things. So we learned that Jesus came to give us three things. He fulfilled, he fulfilled an example of a perfect, unadulterated worship. So he showed us how to worship God the Father in spirit and truth. He came to show us wisdom of how to serve God. And he came, number three, as a king who would rally for, teach to, go to, and win the war for those he came to liberate. So he showed us those things. Fulfilled part three, um, we learned that we have a deep need and desire for what is wicked to actually be called evil, and what is righteous, to be called right. So we learned that Jesus came to fulfill the prophecy of a refiner's fire. Because God is a refiner's fire. He brings into the light everything, and he begins to show us what is, what is twisted, what is perverted. Because, guys, if God is the creator of all things, which he is, there is nothing in creation that is in creation that he didn't make and Satan doesn't create anything, then that means there's a lot of twistedness. Everything that is not righteous or good or holy or true is just a perversion and a twisting of what God has made. So Jesus came to reveal the right way, the straight way, 
righteousness as it really is. And so um, he came to give righteous judgments. He came to show what redemption is. And he came to give us and to show us what true, real rest is that can only be found in him. Fulfilled part four, simply Christ came as a baby. And God used a baby to fulfill our need for headship. A child will lead them. Doesn't like it doesn't like doesn't even sound right, right? But even today, didn't the children just lead us in worship from A to Z of the gospel? And then it came to set us an example of humility. So if you're called to leadership today, which in some respects you all are, at minimum in your own household and in your workplace, he set us an example of how to lead with humility. Yeah. So as I was preparing for today, okay, what is fulfilled part five going to look like? I feel like the Lord wanted me to go through some of the Old Testament prophecies and really talk about those and how they were fulfilled through Jesus. But I don't know if you've ever looked that up before. Do you know how many Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus? Okay, there are multiple lists out there. Some of the lists range from 300 to 365. So we're not going to go through 300 and 365 today. This is supposed to be a 20-minute message. So I had to boil it down. I was like, Lord, anytime you choose a person to speak and to bring your word, you're choosing them, yes, in your, in your mercy, <laughs> by your grace, but you have deposited something into that person's life that has got them ready to speak a certain message in a certain way. So basically everything that's happened to my life and into your life so God can speak a certain, a certain message through that. So there are four things that we're going to focus on today that Jesus came to fulfill. And those are, he became to fulfill the revelation of the Father to us, to show us who the Father really is. And he, became, he came to fulfill what a true friend is. He came to fulfill, number three, the prophecies of forgiveness that the blood of bulls and animals or living by the law could not bring. And then number four, he came to fulfill and reveal what a true family is. So we're going to talk about those four things. It's four F's, easy to remember. It's father, friendship, forgiveness, and family, if you're taking notes. All right, were we able to get the scriptures or not? I know I sent them. So we got them? All right. All right. Go tech team. Come on, guys. Let's thank them. And they're accepting volunteers right now, too, if anybody's looking for a place to serve in the church. Got you. Okay, guys. So if you can turn with me or bring up on the screen Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. All right. So Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. There are a lot of misconceptions, and there always have been all throughout history, who God is, what he looks like, and what it means to be a good father. All of us in this room have our own stories, even of our earthly fathers. Some of us have never met them, unfortunately. So we have imaginations of what they might be like because we look at how we are, and we're like, well, maybe he's kind of like me. I do these things in this certain way. I have these idiosyncrasies. So if I'm his son, he's got to be like me a little bit, but you never really know. Some of us, we see our father in certain aspects. Sometimes we'll see our father at home, and he's this way at home, but 
He's gone 10 hours a day providing for the family. We don't know what he's like on the job. We've never been to work with him. We don't know, like, the leadership capacity that he has because we've never, like, uh, seen him in his full contact context. Some of us also have fathers in our home, but maybe they're not there emotionally. Maybe they're just, they come home from work. Uh, we were watching a, a show. Uh, I don't know if we're going to continue watching or not, but Stranger Things. Have you guys ever seen that? How about those parents? A little girl living in the basement, and they don't know it for, like, weeks? Like, what? so detached. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, uh, I just, yeah. So God is not detached is what I'm saying. He knows everything that's going on as far as that goes. Okay, but the scripture. All right, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. He came to show us what the Everlasting Father looks like. Now it takes faith to believe any of this, that a man born who's in the flesh can show us what a spirit being, a.k.a. God the Father, looks like. And so, Lord, as we go through this, uh, we're just going to interrupt with prayer. I'm asking that you would give us faith now, God, to see Jesus in all the ways uh, that you brought him for us to see you, God. Enlighten faith in our heart right now. Amen. Okay, so Jesus came to reveal God the Father to us according to the scriptures. We need, we need a father before we need a friend, okay? Do you guys agree we need a father before we need a friend? How many times have we seen a father that is trying to be their kid's friend, but because they're trying to be their friend so hard that they neglect their responsibilities to actually lead them or to provide for them or to protect them. Um, and so Jesus came, number one, to reveal that. In the New Testament scripture, so what we're doing is the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament scripture is 14, 1 through 11. Is it up there? Okay. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Uh, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way, you know the way to where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, I love Thomas. How many of you guys, when you read scripture, you just put yourself in as Thomas? Like, you'd like interrupt. I'm like, well, well what about this? And so uh, Thomas, like, interrupts. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? He's like, you have not given us GPS or a map. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's telling us right there that not only is he revealing the Father, but there's only one way to get to the Father. That is through him. And in other places of Scripture, Jesus has talked about as being the gate as well. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Ouch. Ouch, ouch. If you would have known me, you would have known my Father also. And so it's, it's heresy, it's bad theology for us to think that we can say we know Jesus, but then not like live underneath 
the, you know, the rule, the, the kingship of the Father, or even there are some religions out there that actually they're, they're called Jesus-only religions, and they're like, oh, it's all about, it's all about Jesus, you know, uh, not the Holy Spirit, not the Father. Well, that is, that is fallacy, guys. We have to take it all. We have to take the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. How could he say this? Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. But Jesus, trying to correct him still, said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Um, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So he's saying, even if you don't feel like you have an intimate relationship with me, Philip, or Cole, or whatever your name is, fill in the blank, here's the starting place. Look at the works. Look at the fulfillment of the prophecies. Look at the miracles. These things cannot be washed away. They have a point and a purpose. You accept the supernatural when you accept Jesus. You accept a kingdom that is inherited by faith when you accept Jesus. And it is still moving forward. What I love about this, and well, how does this fulfill us? Here's how this fulfills us. If we can pull up John 1, 10 through 13. So Jesus fulfills prophecy so that we can be filled with the knowledge of God. So how does he fulfill it? We got it up there, John 1 through 10. Thank you. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, will of man, but of God. So by faith in Jesus, our desire to be fathered is filled. That's how this affects us. So the reason Jesus came to reveal who the Father is is so that we would know that we are not orphans anymore. We would know that there are no more, uh, if you grew up in a single-parent single home, that doesn't have to be the case anymore. Father God steps in, and you don't have to wonder about what he's like. You don't have to wonder if he's abusive. You don't have to wonder if he's uh, you know, absent or if he's a good provider. Jesus tangibly, by revealing the Father, fulfills the needs of our current society. Every social justice thing we can think of, guys, Jesus is the answer, and knowing him and the Father is the answer to it. Yes, we want to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus, but we want people to understand that you can know God through this as well. Jesus revealing the Father removes humanity's excuse. This is another way uh, that this affects us. Jesus revealing the Father removes humanity's excuse for sin, holding us accountable to it, and at the same time shows us his heart and desire to forgive and heal us. Have you guys ever thought or met somebody, because we're always getting into spiritual conversations because it's, it's a hot topic, and people are you know, bold enough to open up about it. Have you guys ever heard or thought that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament? I've definitely heard that before. They're like, 
I love the God of the Old Testament. I mean, excuse me, I love the God of the New Testament because he's just healing everybody, feeding everybody, uh, forgiving everybody's sins, you know, laying down his life. Um, but the God of the Old Testament, he's just mean, he's abusing people, he's rejecting people, he's saying you're not good enough, get out of here. Have you heard anything similar to that? Yeah? Okay, so it's not just me. Well, that is not the truth. I love what Bill Johnson said. Bill Johnson's a, a pastor, listen to some of his podcasts, maybe you've heard from him. He says that if you want to know perfect theology, you look at Jesus. If you ever wonder, you just look at Jesus. You want to know what the Father's like? You look at Jesus. You don't separate and divorce the Old Testament from the New Testament. You look at Jesus. So if you're confused, look at Jesus. Um, the reason that's important is because uh, we need to know who he really is because Satan has always been trying to impersonate God and was cast out of heaven for it. Kings of the earth have always been trying to claim the title of God and God has cast them down from their thrones for it. In Jesus, God has removed all confusion for all the peoples of the earth so they can know God's character and will towards them. And number two, since they are created in his image, how they are to live and behave as the image bearers. When Jesus reveals the Father to us, Satan has no more power. He can't tell you that your Heavenly Father is one way because he's been exposed. So he, he brings it into the light. So that's why it's important that we know that so Satan can no longer deceive us about who our Heavenly Father is. Okay, so Jesus reveals the Father, but also throughout Scripture, it's prophesied and also uh, just revealed that God wants to not just be your father, but he wants to be your friend. But they can't get out of order. He's first your father. Then he's your friend. He teaches you. He loves you. He provides for you. He protects you. And then as you grow up under him, then you become his friend. <laughs> in, my, in my own life, I'm, I'm thankful that my parents did not try to be my friend prematurely. That they didn't let me make my own decisions. That they told me what to do, <laughs> where to go, uh, who I could hang out with. You know why? Because they loved me. But then, as they trained me in decision making, and they began to see how I was responding to their parenthood, then I was able to become their friend. And they were able to actually let me make some of my own decisions because of a key word called trust. Because I had shown myself as responding to what they were teaching me. So we're designed to have one-on-one -on -one intimate friendship with God because God designed us for a relationship with himself. So therefore, no religion or no way of living because it's pretty popular right now in these self-help books, especially because I work in real estate, so everybody is self-employed. So everybody's trying to figure out, okay, how do I order my days? What do I do with my time? What are these step-by-steps I have to do every day in order to be successful in this business? So there's all these books out there, Design Your Life, or Life by Design, or uh, The One Thing. If you do this one thing every day, you're going to be successful. So people come up with their own ways of living, thinking it's going to please God. But if God wants to be your friend, then it's number one about relationship with him. Now, do not get me wrong. 
He calls us servants, and then he calls us friends. And so those can't get out of order either. Okay, Genesis 3, 8 through 10 is one example that I love. Uh, just a little Bible study technique whenever you're trying to, uh, to figure out like a theme throughout the Bible. The further back you go chronologically, you can see where things first came into existence. Like a lot of times the New Testament is quoting the Old Testament. And then even sometimes the Old Testament is quoting like other prophets as well because they were contemporaries. So we're going to go back to Genesis. So God just didn't make Adam. He didn't make Eve and say, hey, guys, I need a gardener. I'm going to put you over here so you can like, be my property manager, and I'll pay you 10% on, your, uh, on the monthly uh, rent that you bring in uh, for taking care of everything. Nope, didn't do that. He actually walked in the garden, talked with them, was an intimate relationship. And so Genesis 3, 8 through 10 reminds us that it used to be like that because this is where it was broken. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So what this points out is that they used to walk together in the garden. And not only did they walk together in the garden and talk, but... He was naked. I don't know about you guys, but that's a little intimate. That's a little like, you can't hide nothing from nobody. Uh, I've got best friends, and uh, we still don't walk around naked together. I mean, we've been friends since I was in high school. I'm 34 years old, and we still don't do that. So this isn't a level of intimacy that cannot be established through an amount of time together. This is like a supernatural level of intimacy where actually... It's not that you've learned to cope with your shame. It's that you've actually learned. But it's like the shame is not there. It doesn't exist. It, this is a point where it didn't exist. But then, as we see here, shame came in. He said, I was afraid. And so if God only cared about them as servants, as working for them, as leading a community group for them, or coming to church every Sunday, which we hope you do because it's for your benefit, <laughs> Uh, but if you only cared about those things, he could have just made another Adam. He could have made another Eve. He's God. There was lots of dirt out there, and he's got an unlimited spirit. He could have just, you know, formed them up, you know, like a potter and just made some others. But he wanted them. Does that make sense? So you were not replaceable. And Jesus came to show us that he wants you. And not just for what you can do. And that's really what happened to me when I was 25, uh, going back to that as well. From 18 to 25, the reason I ended up filing bankruptcy was because, and I wasn't born again, was because I thought, oh, great, if I'm successful and I make enough money, I can go, I'm not even kidding, I know you're going to laugh at this, because looking back on it, hindsight is 2020, but when I was 18, I said, okay, God, here's what I'm going to do, because <laughs> I grew up in the church. Okay, for this short period of time, which I can, of course, control, uh, the outcome of this. I'm going to go be a multimillionaire, become financially independent. Then I'm going to go be a missionary after that so that I don't have to raise money <laughs> to do it. And God, this is so much better than your idea. Then I can actually fund other missionaries too. And I don't have to take money from the church. They can give it somewhere else and actually help, help other people with it. But God was not interested in me being 
self-sufficient. <laughs> he was more interested in me learning to be humble and rely on him. And I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, and so uh, I, God wanted to break that in my family line. And guess what, guys? It's broken. That is not going to happen again. If we're going to be entrepreneurs, it's going to be because, uh, it really is going to be because there is grace on our lives and not trying to get independent, autonomous of God. Because is that not what they did in the garden? Yeah, they did. They don't want to be autonomous, right? Financial independence is good. It's not a replacement for God, though. Amen? Amen. Okay. Okay, here's the second one from the Old Testament. I speed it up here. Uh, Exodus 33. 7 through 11. Moses and God talked in the tent of meeting, similar to the Garden of Eden, as it had been made a holy space through all the regulations that God told him to do. And the relationship had begun to be restored, and a whole nation was being offered friendship. Okay, Exodus 33, 7 through 11. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Okay, that's a little plug for having boundaries in your life, guys. If you can't get away and get with God, get some boundaries in your life. Cut off your phone. Let the cloud come and block the door. God wants to be your friend, and he is jealous in a good way because he loves you. Just like I'm jealous over my wife, so don't get any ideas. I may be up here preaching, but, you know, the fury of a husband that has been wronged is, like, unquenchable in that regard. So get some boundaries in your life. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So even in the Old Testament, God wanted to be our friend, and he fulfilled it in the New Testament through Jesus. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but friends, for a servant does not know his master's business. We first need a father, and then we need a friend. Friends are made through service, and in God's case, through obedience. John 15, 12 through 17 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Did Jesus lay down his life? Yep. You are my friends if you do what I command you. <laughs> Is Jesus picky about his friends? Should you be picky about your friends? Would you want your children to be picky about who their who their friends are? Not talk about people they uh, you know, maybe they see because they go to school together or you know they ride the bus together, but people they choose to share their hearts and their minds with. Should you be picky about it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Birds of a feather, you know, fly together. Meaning if somebody's bent on evil and they're bent on, you know, skipping school, your kid's going to get wrapped up in it. And so Jesus came, uh, and he wants us to obey him for our benefit. 
He said, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is super good news here. Jesus fulfills this desire that God created us with to be friends with God. And Jesus did it first. Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father, so he's, you know, the Father's, the Father's son, but also his best friend, you know. And then he said, because you associate with me, and because we're friends, you can be friends with the Father, and anything you ask me will be given to you. And I love the little part about, um, about Joshua staying there. Joshua was a smart dude. He's like, if this is where the power is at, I am going to hang out, and I am going to get some of that. And so he did. So guys, if you want to stay late and you want to talk when you see people and like at community group, well, actually talk to community group leader. They may be trying to get you out so you can go to bed or something. But, um, you know, if you want to stay late and associate, do it. That's what friends do. It doesn't have to be so reg- regimented all the time. Go hang out. So many people have told me, oh, I just don't know anybody in the, at the church. And I have, I have sympathy. But it's like, okay, who, who are you hanging out with? Nobody. <laughs> well, ask somebody. Go hang out. Are you going to community group? No, I'm not. Well, that's why they're there, so that we can have those opportunities to come and to associate. Because if there's somebody there that has figured this thing out and surrendered their life to Jesus, they can help you do it too. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know. Pretty, pretty basic. Um, let's see. I choose you, appointed you, so that you go and bear fruit. And this is also a fulfillment of prophecy as well. Even from the, from the creation itself, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Oh, speaking of that, so I can keep your attention. <laughs> guys, so Evelise and I, we, we don't have kids. You guys know that, right? If you know that, raise your hand. Are you wait. Okay. We've been married two and a half years, and we don't have kids, but we have an announcement to make. Because all these other people are having children. And it's like, man, we need, we need this. But we can't really control it. So we adopted a cat yesterday. <laughs> so when you come to prayer or community group at our house, you can play with uh, Pusheen. Is that his name? Pusheen. Do you guys know who Pusheen is? Yes? I did not know this. She's like, we're naming the cat Pusheen. I'm like, how did you come up with the name Pusheen? Is it Spanish? Is it... Uh, I don't know, she's like, then she showed me the picture of the internet cat, Pusheen. Have you guys seen the internet cat, Pusheen? No? Yeah? Okay, well, look it up, and you'll see our cat. He looks just like that cat. <laughs> okay, comic relief, sorry. All right. All right, so here's one of my favorite scriptures as well that fulfills uh, the, the, the prophecy and the longing in God's heart to be our friend. Okay, Luke 15, 20 through, through 30. This is the, the prodigal son. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And guys, this is a guy who had said, I don't want to be with you. I want my inheritance now. You are dead to me. Does it get any worse than that if you have a breakup? You are dead to me. That's like the worst thing you can say to somebody. 
And then to your parent, give me my inheritance now. He did it. The father gave him that inheritance. He ran off. He squandered it. Not only did he, like he didn't just go say, hey, father, give me my inheritance now. I want to go start a business so that I can further the family's, you know, reputation. Or, hey, I want to go be a missionary. Give me my inheritance now, but, you know, before you pass so I can, you know, not waste my life doing this other stuff. But no, he went and spent it on prostitutes. He went and spent it on wild living, it says. So all kinds of crazy stuff. So it's worse than we might think. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. God wants to be with you. And ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father was not disgusted. No matter where you've been and no matter what you're doing, get it out of your head now. Because Jesus has revealed the father. The father is not disgusted. Jesus is not disgusted. Yes, he's holy. But have you read the read the scriptures anytime something was not right when jesus touched it what happened it became right it is a lie of the devil that says you are too bad to go to god because he doesn't want you to go to jesus because that's where you get healed that's where you get right this church right here right now these seats need to be filled with people that feel like they're not good enough to come here. So for us, guys, we need to invite those that maybe, maybe, in our pride, we're offended by. Because this is where they get right. But the father, excuse me, and the son said to him, after the father embraced him and kissed him, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned, this is called repentance, against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He recognized his mistake and he admitted it. That was after, you know, the father had come and touched him, like Jesus has come to us. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. He didn't say, go cover this kid up. He's had a hard, you know, you know a couple months or years. He's been gone. You know, just put something on him to keep him warm. He said, no, bring the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They weren't like, all right, man, you need to stay over here and decompress for a little bit. You've been out there a while living. We don't want you to taint us. Um, No, they threw a party. When we come to Jesus, there is no timeline or no, uh, what are those things called? There's chambers you have to go in when you go into like a metal facility and it's like clean. You know what I'm talking about? What's that? Decontamination chamber. You don't have to go into a decontamination chamber. It's instantaneous when you're born again, when you believe. Yes, there's a sanctification process, so you surrender more and more to the Holy Spirit for future living as you're beginning to live in the kingdom of God. But it is instantaneous, guys. For those who are in Christ, shame is a lie. It is a lie. It does not exist. It does, not, does it exist in heaven? No, it doesn't. What did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come and your will be done somewhere down the road when, I, when Jesus comes back. No, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So guys, right now, in the name of Jesus, if you've been dealing with shame, gone. Gone. And let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He did not make the son go serve for a certain amount of time before he could, you know, become a son again. He's like, okay, you have to take the status as a servant, and then we'll, you know, promote you. We'll see how you do, and then we'll promote you to, you know, back to a son. No, he brought him right back in. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out, excuse me, his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, the accuser, bringing shame again, reminding him of his sin, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this young brother, for your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he is found. So even the father, guys, fights for you. He fights for you. He wants to be with you. Jesus reveals the heart of the Father. Rejection only exists if you're remaining in your sin and not giving it to Jesus. And that's because you choose to not be there anymore because he's made a way. And this reminds me of how the first shall be last and the last shall be first. God exalts the humble and opposes the proud. God humbles us so he can be with us. I'll say it again. If you're underneath the discipline of God, get humble. Just do it. <laughs> Don't go around that mountain for 40 years. Just get humble, and it'll be a 10-day 10 10 day journey like that. Am I the only one who's, like, extended my time of discipline by being like, okay, God, I know you said, you know, don't do this, but I'm going to test the limits of your love. If you really love me, you won't let me, you won't let me trip and fall. Uh, all right, number three, how, how does this friendship fulfill us? Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So when we know that God wants to be our friend, we know that we are loved. And we know that we have somebody to help us through our trials and our adversity. Somebody's not going to turn their back as soon as times get hard. They're not a fair-weather friend. We are loved. We don't have to keep running. Mercy is waiting. Lamentations 3.22-25. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. A friend will never let you down. The Father will never let you down. That's why Jesus came to reveal the Father. 
Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. When we have Jesus Christ as our friend, we have all the friends we need to make it through life. Now, Christ's community and culture, this is God's plan that we live in Christ-centered community so Jesus can show us this type of friendship that never quits or abandons. You don't need companions. You need Jesus and his people filled with the Holy Spirit as your friends. Guys, we think we need companionship, but really we need brothers and sisters in Christ. We need friends in Christ. If you feel like you're struggling and you're just sucking air to survive if you're feeling lonely, maybe, maybe it's because you have a lot of companions, but you don't have a lot of friends in Christ, a lot of brothers in Christ, because that makes all the difference. I'm sure everybody here has stories about when they made their first real friend in the faith and how it was different than their friends that they had before that. Uh, Rollin became my first, like, real friend in the faith. You know why? Because that man challenged me. That man would not let me sit content. He'd be like, oh, Cole, I'm so sorry you're going through that, man, but here's what we need to do. I'm like, just let me be for a minute. (laughs) But he loved me, and he's like, this is what we need to do, and I am so thankful for that. You know why? God is using Rollin, yes, as my pastor, but we were friends for a long time, He's using Rollin as my friend to prepare me for life in the kingdom. You cannot neglect community, uh, Christian community. Okay, we're wrapping up. Forgiveness. What God starts, he maintains and finishes by his spirit. Okay, that's key. What God starts, he maintains, and he finishes, and it is by his spirit. Jesus came to reboot the relationship between God and humanity by being the perfect person who could present himself as the perfect sacrifice to bring perfect justice to a perfect God and in the process, making perfect all those who place their trust in forgiveness. Genesis three fourteen through 15 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And here's the key. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This was prophecy. This was a promise. At the very beginning, the problem the man has always had was sin. That had to be dealt with. That's what broke the relationship. So that is the underlying thing uh, for everything. So Jesus came to show us what real forgiveness looked like. He came to show us that there are not enough good acts you can do. There is not enough obedience that you can do to actually earn forgiveness. Only the person that has been wronged can forgive, and it is their choice whether they want to forgive you or not. Right? Have you ever begged for somebody's forgiveness because you wanted it? but you didn't get it because their heart was hard? Yeah? That happened in Scripture, too, because some people's hearts were so hard that they could not find repentance. They were sad because of their sin, but they couldn't find repentance. So we need forgiveness, and only God can give it. Forgiveness has been needed since the first people and is the foundation of the work the Father sent the Son to fulfill. Jesus is this foundation and cornerstone that all 
our work as the church and children of God is built upon. All work not done in the humility of forgiveness through Christ Jesus is shifting sand, and it will tumble one day. May God reveal to us where we're building on shifting sand and not on the forgiveness of Christ. And by the way, a prophecy is not a prediction that might happen. So when God was saying like, oh yeah, you know, you're going to crush Satan's head, that was not a prediction. That was a promise and a prophecy that would come, and Jesus fulfilled that. Faith is the difference of whether we are impacted by a prophecy or not. So if you want to have Satan's head crushed in your life, what do you need? Faith, right? Because it could be true, but if you don't receive it, it won't be true in your life. Uh, Isaiah 53 through 6, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That was a prophecy, a promise of Jesus coming to take away our sins. So how do we know he did it? John 1, 29 through 34, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I told (laughs) y'all. After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And that was a baptism of repentance. So when we repent, it shows us even more of who he is. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So only Jesus can take away our sins, so he came to do that, which is the most important. But what happens when he takes away our sins is we get born again, okay? When you're born, you're born into a family. You have a mother, you have a father, and if the family's been around for a little bit, you have brothers and sisters, right? So Jesus came to reveal that we have a new family as well. Jesus came to bring us peace with God that leads to peace with each other. When we come to Jesus in repentance, forsaking our attempts to hide from God as a leader of our lives and accept Him is the only one who can save us. We are filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit enables us to love Him, ourselves, and each other, helping us turn daily from sin. This group of people who are washed clean by the blood of Jesus and surrender to His leadership are the church. The church is the family of God. And that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Now the Lord said to Abram, and this is uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that was fulfilled in Jesus. Like, all this, I know we don't, we didn't think we dealt with racism and stuff, but it's been coming up a lot lately. But Jesus fixes that if we just really believe it and accept it. Jesus' lineage traces back to Abraham, by the way. That's why that's a fulfilled prophecy. And in the New Testament, we know that Jesus has done this. He's made a new family. Ephesians two fourteen through 22 tells us, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, meaning the whole church, the whole family of God, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also, and this is for us, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And Jesus was the only one who could do these things. These things were prophesied. So just to summarize that, I know it was a lot, guys, a lot of scripture. But I just believe that there's no better way than to just bring the scripture and let it speak for itself. Because what God starts, he finishes by his spirit. So Jesus came to reveal to us the Father, who he really is, what he really thinks about us, as well as his power and his mercy and his kindness. He came to reveal the Father's desire and his desire to be our friend and not just, a, not just a servant. And he fulfilled it. And then he came, most importantly, to forgive us as the only one who could do it. doesn't matter if your parents say, oh, don't worry about that. I love you. But, you know, our sin's primarily against God, so only he can forgive us of things. And then number four, family. All that so that we can be a new family and we'll all be one family on that day. And so what do we do with that? Okay, here's our moment. We're going to go back into worship. I believe we've got one song. And what the Lord wants to do is he wants to minister to us as we worship, as we come into our presence. He wants to show us if we, number one, if we need that, that forgiveness of sins. And he's going to show you. If you've got a father wound in your heart, maybe you thought your heavenly father was somebody different than he really is, and now as you look at Jesus, you see like, oh, well, okay, we'll reveal more of me to you. You can find it in the gospel, and the Holy Spirit will show you too as you read it. And number four, if you've been lonely, God sets the lonely in families. You don't have to be lonely anymore. And so he'll minister that to you today so that the worship team can come forward.